0: So Money Episode 338 College Week Continues with Mark Kantrowitz, Financial Aid Expert.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself.
0: so money is brought to you today by wix.com need a website why not do it yourself with wix.com no matter what business you're in wix.com has something for you used by more than 75 million people worldwide wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today You need to get the word out about your business? It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, and even video backgrounds, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website. Website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. College Week continues on So Money, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this themed week. Today, a very special and important guest as we dive into college and affordability and student loans. Our guest today is a nationally recognized expert on the topic of student financial aid, scholarships, and student loans. His name is Mark Kantrowitz. You may have seen his name quoted in the media often. He is my go-to expert, my go-to resource when it comes to learning more about student loans. Mark aims to deliver practical information, advice, and tools, and resources to students and their families so that they can make informed decisions about planning and paying for college. In the last five years, he's been quoted in more than 5,000 newspaper and magazine articles. He has written for major publications, including The Times, The Journal, The Washington Post, Forbes. He's also the author of four bestselling books about scholarships and financial aid. We discuss what works for you and against you when it comes to receiving financial aid demystifying the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, what gets factored in and what doesn't, how to earn more money as you go through college and you may experience a worsening of your financial circumstances. Maybe a parent at home loses his or her job. Maybe you lose your job. How do you apply for more financial aid? And where to find free money for school? That's what I wanna know. How do I get the free money? All that and more coming up. Here is Mark Kantrowitz. Mark Hantrowitz, welcome to So Money. Couldn't do College Week without you, so very honored to have you on the show. I've been uh, picking your brain for probably the last 10, 12 years, and I plan to do the same in the next 30 minutes.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Mark, I didn't think I knew this about you, but you have a background in computer science. Your consulting firm focuses on um Computer Science, Artificial Intelligence, and Statistical and Policy Analysis. So then how is it that you're also the foremost expert on student financial aid? Can you maybe explain that for me a little bit? How did that happen?
1: Well, I was one of those kids who won a gazillion dollars for both my undergraduate and graduate education, and uh, I participated in a summer research internship program called at the time the rickover science institute it's now known as the research science institute and i compiled a list of scholarships for math and science students enrolled in that program uh and then somehow prentice hall heard about that uh in 1992 asked if we'd like to do a book the book came out in 1993 right around when the web had started and rather than answer the questions we were receiving by email again and again I started uh posting the answers to a website called FinAid. And uh then the website took on a life of its own uh and grew to become one of the number the top three websites about planning and paying for college.
0: So yes. it started with your own kind of genius of getting into school with all these scholarships. And then that merged into or migrated to you contributing to FinAid, which is a phenomenal resource for college planning. And then from there you went to advisors and now you're, uh, you're independent.
1: Well, um, I expect to be working for another company very soon. Um, And, the I was laid off by advisors, but uh, I expect to land somewhere else very soon. Uh, and the nice thing about what I do is it gives you a very good feeling knowing that you've helped literally hundreds of millions of students pay for college. And my goal is to try to make it as easy as possible despite the complexity of financial aid. And financial aid is like an alphabet soup of acronyms. It's almost like t- speaking a foreign language.
0: Right. And and no doubt need someone like with your background, your experience to help us break it all down. Mark, what would you say, what is the the characterization of the student loan situation that we're in right now? I'm looking at the numbers, over a trillion dollars in student loans, outstanding College is not getting any cheaper. Interest rates are not getting any lower. So, where are we right now? You've been covering this territory for decades. Where where are we right now in terms of the uh, the extremity of it? And give us some hope too. Is there anything that might be coming in the in, down the pipeline or changing that could be beneficial to student borrowers?
1: Well, total student loan debt outstanding exceeded credit card debt in 2010 auto loans in 2011, and it reached the trillion-dollar mark in 2012. Now, while these may be impressive milestones, what's more important is the impact on individual students. The average debt at graduation for a bachelor's degree is about $35,000. The average starting salary, though, is greater than that. So long as your personal student loan debt at graduation is less than your starting salary, you'll be able to repay your student loans in 10 years or less. It's when your debt exceeds your income, when your debt's out of sync with your income, that you're going to struggle to make those loan payments, and you'll need an alternate repayment plan, like extended repayment or income-driven repayment to afford your monthly loan payments. But those repayment plans reduce the monthly payments by stretching out the term of the loan to 20, 25, or even 30 years, which means you'll still be paying back your own student loans when your children go to college, and that's going to have a cascading impact that's uh, very worrisome. And the primary driver of this increase in debt is the failure of government grants from both the federal government and the state government and other support of post-secondary education to keep pace with increases in college costs. This has shifted the burden of paying for college from the government to the families. Family income has been flat since 2000. So the only way families have to pay for the increase in cost is either to go to a less expensive school or to borrow more. And that's why we see debt continuing to increase. And it's reached the point where uh, about a quarter of the students who graduate, who use student loans to pay for their bachelor's degree, are graduating with what I would consider to be excessive student loan debt, debt that exceeds their annual income.
0: As far as the government's burden, I've read also that some of these student loans, many of them will be forgiven, the federal ones, uh, because sometimes when you enter into these relief programs, if you're still not having – if you still have the debt after 20 years, it's forgiven. Where do you see the government maybe – Uh, falling apart because of this. I mean, this is a huge financial burden if they're not able to manage the risk now. And eventually, everyone's going to pay the price, not just families.
1: Well, with the income-driven repayment plans, borrowers uh, will have their remaining debt forgiven after 20 or 25 years in repayment. But they're still going to be paying back their loans Uh, based on their income as opposed to the amount they owe for those 20 or 25 years. So for many borrowers, they will actually pay more. Uh, It's only borrowers who are severely negatively amortized where their uh, debt is significantly greater than their income that they'll get a a net financial benefit from having the debt forgiven, as well as borrowers who pursue public service loan forgiveness which has a forgiveness after 10 years. So I don't see this necessarily as being a, um, a big problem for the taxpayer. Uh, the uh, hit to the federal budget, uh, even in the most pessimistic of models, is a very small fraction of a percent. Uh, the real problem is that we should be designing our financial aid system so that people don't take on more debt than they can afford. We should give them grants before the fact, not grants after the fact in the form of forgiveness.
0: What can students do right now? They're going into college, college is looming. What can families do to maximize the affordability, to make it efficient, to make sure that they're getting what they need. As you said, the financial aid world is full of acronyms and it's very hard to analyze. So if you could boil it down for us, just simply, what are the steps that families need to take to make sure that that their children are off to college responsibly affording it. And and by the way, maybe that they shouldn't go to college right away. Is that part of the equation too or part of the consideration, which I think 10 years ago would have been a terrible thing, a terrible thought. But now it seems like, you know what, maybe that extra year between high school and college is, is a smart thing to do. The transition is smart.
1: Well, uh, first of all, the best thing that you can do – is to save for college because every dollar you save is about a dollar less you're going to have to borrow and every dollar you borrow will cost you about two dollars by the time you pay back that debt so simply by saving you're going to save money now if college is just around the corner you can still save I mean, even very late in the game but if it's time to uh I mean, get money to help pay for college You want to use the first of these acronyms, the FAFSA, which is the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. It is a free form that is used to apply for financial aid from the federal government, from the state governments, and most colleges and universities. There are a handful, less than 200 colleges, that use a different form called the CSS Financial Aid Profile Form for awarding their own financial aid but they still use the FAFSA to award award the federal and state aid. Uh, And this form, the FAFSA, is used to apply for grants, student employment, and loans. There are also other forms of financial aid that are awarded through the tax system. The American Opportunity Tax Credit provides up to $2,500 a year as a partially refundable tax credit on your federal income tax return based on amounts that you spend for tuition and textbooks now there are rules that prevent you from double dipping so you can't use the same educational expense to justify both a the american opportunity tax credit and a tax redistribution from a five twenty nine college savings plan so you need to carve out four thousand dollars of expenses in tuition and textbooks each year that will be paid for not with 529 plan funds but rather with cash or student loans. Uh, and there are, in addition to the need-based aid that you can get from the, uh, through the FAFSA, there are also private scholarships uh, that are provided by philanthropists, foundations, corporations, Uh, and a variety of other organizations to help students pay for school. The best way to find these is to use a free online scholarship search service. Uh, There's one from fastweb.com, F-A-S-T-W-E-B.com. The College Board has one. There are are several free tools uh, available, and uh, I highly recommend using these because they match you against a database of scholarships to find just the scholarships for which you're eligible. And keep in mind that these are free services. If you have to pay money to get money, that's the um, then it's probably a scam. And you should never invest more than a postage stamp to find out information about scholarships or to apply for scholarships.
0: Thanks for that reminder. Then- yeah, it's really important. Let's take a quick break now to give some love to one of our sponsors today, MileIQ, the number one mileage tracker app. More than a million Americans trust MileIQ to automatically log their drives every day. It's the only mileage tracker app that detects, logs, and calculates your drives for you automatically. It's incredibly easy to use and keeps all of your drives securely stored in the cloud. The average MileIQ user logs 547 bucks a month in drives. That's $6,000 a year in miles you could be claiming. The app has a five-star rating both in Google Play and iTunes app stores. So stop wasting time manually tracking your miles and stop losing money that you should be redeeming. MileIQ does all the work letting you focus on what's actually important like your business and driving. You can download the MileIQ like app for free and start your free trial right away. Here's how you do it. Text so money, one word, to 31996. Your going to get a 40 dry free trial create an account this week though and you'll get 20% off an annual plan standard messaging and data rates apply so keep that in mind and just text so money to 31996 for a 40 dry free trial and then the 20% discount applies if you create an account this week one thing that I think um, a lot of parents are unsure about and students is what works against you and for you when you're filling out FAFSA, there's this myth that, well, I make too much or I make too little, or can you maybe demystify that for us too, as far as what might be the things that you um, would financially not w- would work against you? What are the assets, for example, um, that might impact your ability to get a certain level of financial aid or not?
1: Okay. First, let's uh, answer the last question that you have, which was about gap year between high school and college. While some students may benefit from an additional year in which to mature, uh, it is um, it gets you out of the habit of studying. Uh, so I don't recommend it. And also any income that the student's going to earn during that year to help pay for college is going to count against the financial aid process. Uh, student income Uh, Up to $6,400 a year is sheltered, but anything above that reduces aid eligibility by half of that excess. So you're probably better off uh, focusing on uh, um, using income after you graduate to pay back student loans than to try to earn that money in advance. And there are always exceptions like uh, students have been kicked out of their Parents' home may have no choice, but generally speaking, uh, a gap year is not beneficial from a financial aid perspective. Now, with regard to the impact of of the family's finances and uh, other demographics on eligibility for need based financial aid, the formula is very heavily weighted towards income. Uh, It uh, assesses 22% to 47% of parent income. 50 percent above the uh income protection allowance for student income there's a similar income protection allowance for parent income that's based on the family size um but that has a very big impact on aid eligibility assets do count uh, they do hurt your aid eligibility uh, but not as much as income uh there is uh 20 percent of student assets and in a worst-case scenario, 5.64% of parent assets. So you want to save in the parent's name, not the child's name. Uh, 529 plans are specially, have a special treatment where they are treated as though they're parent assets. Um, and then the, the number of children in college at the same time has a very big impact on aid eligibility because the parent finances are divided by the number of children in college. So if you go from one child in college to two children in college, it's almost the equivalent of dividing the parent income in half. Uh, So there is no explicit income cutoff on eligibility for the federal grants. Ninety five percent of Pell Grant recipients, which is a federal grant, um, have family income um, under sixty thousand dollars a year. But if you have multiple children in college at the same time, you could have a six-figure income and still qualify for that. Uh, Also, the Federal Stafford Loan, which is a student loan, and the Parent PLUS Loan, which is borrowed by parents on behalf of their children, are available without regard to financial need. You still have to file the FAFSA to qualify because they want to make sure you get all the need-based aid for which you're eligible before turning to the loans. But those are available to anybody regardless of income. You can be incredibly wealthy and still qualify for those loans. And they are relatively low interest fixed rate loans available. The the Stafford loan is available without regard to the student's credit history. And most students don't have a credit history or if they happen to have one, it's usually a bad one. Uh, So the ways to improve your eligibility for need-based aid Uh, involve avoiding artificial increases in your income during the base year. That's the year upon which the FAFSA is based, um, which is currently the prior tax year. But starting in 2017-18, it's going to be the prior prior tax year. In other words, two years before, so that families will be able to file the FAFSA based on the most recent tax return without having to, do this song and dance. So, if you have to base it on the tax return, but you haven't filed the tax return, so you use an estimate and you correct that estimate later, they'll be able to use the actual information that has already been filed.
0: Well, you bring up a good point, which is that income does fluctuate, especially these days. Parents uh, don't necessarily have that solid nine-to-five job. You and I have both been laid off. So we know that sometimes one year is not the ideal year to be applying for aid, or or in some cases it is because your income is uh, relatively lower. But it brings up a good point, too, that once you're in school, you parents should know and, and, and students should know that you can always reapply for aid if especially we, we talked about this in the past mark the whole idea of um, a professional judgment review does that still work in, this, in the sense that you can ask for more aid depending on if your family situation has uh, become has worsened financially in, in in the recent months or year that since you've gone to school?
1: right so first of all we need to emphasize that the FAFSA is filed every year you're in school. To provide aid for the subsequent uh, academic year, Uh, there is no—it's not a form that you file once. You actually, actually, you have to do it on an annual basis. Uh, And I've seen cases where families had only one child in college. They file the FAFSA, they don't get anything other than the loans. The next year, they say, "Why bother?" But they would have had a lot more aid because then they would have had two children in college. So it's important to file the FAFSA every single year, even if you got nothing other than loans the previous year. Now, if there are unusual financial circumstances that affected um, your finances last year that made them significantly different than this year or anything that sets you apart from the typical family um, or affects your ability to pay, uh, you should ask the school for a professional judgment review. Uh, This is a process, and the the FAFSA doesn't have a space in it for you to say, oh, but we have this unusual family situation. Like we have a special needs child who needs 24-7 nursing care or uh, an elderly parent who needs 24-7, or I just lost my job and last year's income is not reflective of my ability to pay. Uh, Those kinds of circumstances, you ask the school to do a professional judgment review some schools call it a special circumstances review or a financial aid appeal. You present them with documentation of these unusual circumstances, especially the financial impact of them. And then the school will if they decide that it merits an adjustment, they will base that adjustment on the financial impact of those special circumstances on the family. For example, if you got laid off last year uh during the base year, Uh, what they, or even after the base year, what they'll do is they'll look at your financial situation during the academic year, the award year. They will say, okay, you were laid off, but you got severance and then you're getting unemployment benefits. And then you got a new job that doesn't pay as well. So what's your total income during that uh, estimated income during that academic year? And uh, then they will make a change to your income figures on the FAFSA corresponding to the change in your total income and then they will also make a corresponding change to your taxes so they kind of do this as a holistic review like if you lost your job and you just won the mega millions jackpot you're probably not going to get more financial aid they're not going to look just at the change in income from your loss of employment they're going to look at all the factors affecting your family but if there's anything unusual always always ask the school for professional judgment review, the worst that can happen is they say no.
0: And I think that's the overarching tip here, right? That if you want money, you need to ask for it. They're not going to necessarily say, hey, you know, Farnoosh, I understand you're going through some troubling times or uh, understand maybe you got laid off last year. Here's some extra aid or here's that grant that you didn't qualify for last year, but this year you qualify. So you have to be the one that's your biggest advocate. Some advice now, Mark, and before we go, some advice for uh, graduates who have the loans, who have the debt, and they may not have been the ones who were conservative, who only borrowed less than their starting salary. They may be the ones like you characterized, uh, where they have a detrimental amount of debt. You know, something like twice their their income or six figures in debt. What do they do? And I would assume some of their debt is private loans, so they're not going to necessarily be able to go into a relief program for all of that. What can they do?
1: Okay, well, the first thing is both federal and private student loans um, qualify for a student loan interest deduction, where up to $2,500 of interest that you spent on private, federal and private student loans is deductible as an above-the-line exclusion from income on your federal income tax return. That means you can claim it even if you don't itemize your deductions. Everybody who has student loans should take advantage of that also many lenders including the federal student loans offer an interest rate reduction if you sign up for auto debit where your monthly payments are automatically transferred from your bank account to the lender Uh, and this is typically a quarter of a percent some of the private student loans will offer as much as half a percent interest rate reduction to take advantage of that because Not only are you going to be less likely to be late with the payment, but you're getting this additional financial benefit. This is something that's kind of unique to student loans. Mortgages don't do that. I wish they did, uh, and certainly on my own mortgage. Um, Now, with regard, if you're encountering financial difficulty, the first thing is talk to the lender. Explore your options because if you ignore the problem, it's only going to get worse, and you will lose options for financial relief. For example, if you default on your federal student loans, you will lose the deferments and forbearances that are available on federal student loans. So you need to talk to the lender. And if there are, the financial difficulties short term, like you got laid off, but you expect to get a new job in a few months, or you have medical and maternity leave and you need to suspend your loan payments, that's where you can get these deferments and forbearances that provide temporary relief the problem with deferments and forbearances however is that interest may continue to accrue during that time period and if you don't pay it as it accrues it will cause your loan balance to go get bigger and bigger um, digging you into a deeper hole so they are not good solutions uh, for more long-term financial difficulty where you are employed and you're getting a good salary, but your salary just isn't enough for you to afford your loan payments. In that case, you need to explore the alternate repayment plans, such as extended repayment and income-driven repayment, which will reduce your monthly loan payments by stretching out the term of the loan. Um, there are alternatives, such as uh, you could always get a second job in the evenings and weekends to help pay back your student loans, Uh, or ask your employer for overtime or a raise. Um, The benefit of that approach is that you have less time available to spend money. Um, Now, let's suppose that you have extra money uh, that uh, you want to use to your advantage beyond the required monthly payments. Well, you can accelerate repayment of your student loans because there are no prepayment penalties on federal and private student loans. You need to be careful to tell the lender that this extra payment that you're making should go be applied to the principal balance of the loan and not treated as an early payment of the next installment due, because otherwise they might simply skip that next installment. And you want them to make the reg, require the regular payments, and this extra money will go to paying down the principal balance of the loan. And the most cost-effective method of doing this is to target the highest interest rate debt for quicker repayment. Now, that may not be your student loans. That might be credit card debt or some other form of debt. But what you do is you, t- you make the extra payments on that highest interest rate debt, which will reduce your overall average interest that you're paying and save you the most money in the long term. Uh, so definitely uh, focus on that. There are some other things, though, that I strongly recommend before you try paying off your student loans quicker. One is if your employer has an employer match to your retirement plan contributions, maximize the employer match because that's free money. Uh And make sure you have at least three to six months of income uh, saved in an emergency fund, which is enough money to tide you over if you were to – um be laid off and have the typical duration of time in unemployment. And those, you you take care of that first before you start trying to pay off your debt more quickly. But then once you've got that under your belt, you accelerate repayment of the highest interest rate debt that will pay off all your loans quicker and will save you more money on interest than any alternative.
0: Thanks for that reminder. Yes, very important. But of course, at least make those minimum payments. You don't want to. I think someone made the great analogy with for me the other day, which was that student loans can start off as medicine, but it can quickly become poison. <laughs> if you ignore them and you miss those payments, uh, they can come to haunt you for the rest of your life because they're pretty impossible to uh, throw out in a bankruptcy. Mark Hantrowitz, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us this College Week on So Money. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. That's a wrap. For more information about Mark, his website is kantrowitz.com, K-A-N-T-R-O-W-I-T-Z. You can also follow him on Twitter at m. K-A-N-T M can't. You can download this episode, grab the transcript, and leave a comment at somoneypodcast.com, as always. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh. I know you've got a question for me. Send it in, and every Friday I try to answer as many of your questions as possible on the Ask Farnoosh episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Tomorrow, College Week continues, of course, and our special guest is Adam Carroll. He is a documentarian, has a very important documentary coming out this month, very soon, about college and uh, student loans. You don't want to miss that. Stay tuned. Hope your day is so money.